at risk of um, embarrassing our Bible readers, um, you both have a gift of, of reading the Scripture and bring it alive. And it, it is a gift because you read with understanding. So we can all learn from that, can't we? You can't do it exactly the same as them, but we can... Yeah, I could have listened quite a long time. You've got to listen to me instead now. <laughs> Lord, help. Um, I'm going to be... We had two scriptures read to us. I should have had three, but I will point you to the third one a little bit later. Three sections. And I'm going to quote quite a lot from the Bible today. Um, so if you want to turn up, well, I'm referring to Acts 1 and 2. So there's Bibles in the seats in front of you. And it might just help. And there'll be images on the screen as well. So I don't want to confuse you. Um, gosh, you've got to use your ears. You've got to use your eyes. But I'm so, so praying that you use your minds and your hearts as well this morning. And as we come to Acts 2, and Acts 1 and 2 to begin with, um, in your sheets, there is, in the notice sheets or the new sheets, there's a little prayer that we're going to pray later that Rich is going to tell you. And that's a really good prayer, and we like to pray it for everyone. But I've got a more simple prayer that I'd like to pray as well as I start my sermon, which I prayed at the earlier service. So if you just like to be in a a state of rest, maybe with your eyes closed, I'm going to pray a very, very short prayer, but leave some gaps. Come, Holy Spirit. More love. More power. More of you in all our lives. Breaking news. Jerusalem thrown into chaos, many declaring the extraordinary truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. A bunch of fearful disciples breaking out and sharing the good news of God in lots and lots of languages. What does this mean? Most breaking news comes and goes, but some we remember and reenact time and time again. This week, the news has been filled with lots of stuff. We've had a visit from um, the President of the United States. We've also had the D-Day landings, remembering um, these events of 75 years ago. I just wonder what will have an enduring memory for you. Quoting from the BBC, troops from the UK, US and Canada and France attacked German forces on the coast of northern France on the 6th of June 1944. This was the largest um, land, sea, air operation attempted and the idea was to liberate Europe from Nazi Germany. It took, I think, over a year to plan. I can't imagine how they did all these things 
without the technology that we have these days. But they did do it. Apparently, the planning was delayed for a day. And the conditions were just right a day later for them to do this. If you were a soldier, or if you were someone uh, who was living in Europe at that time, maybe um, if you'd never prayed before, you'd certainly learn how to do it quite quickly in those sorts of conditions. Much prayer must have gone up, and many believe it was a miracle that the conditions were right and everything worked together towards the liberation of Europe. I don't know whether you saw this picture of George Sayer in lots of newspapers. Anyone seen that picture? I've um, pulled a headline from the Express, but there was all sorts of um, people... um, with headlines on this. It was the must-publish photo, I think, of the week. Uh, A six-year-old boy wearing his great-uncle George's medals and beret alongside a second... uh, What am I saying? A second World War D-Day hero holding hands, looking into each other's eyes, And you can imagine him thinking and saying these words. Thank you for giving me my future. Many preachers use the D-Day illustration to describe the day in history when Jesus had victory over sin and death, which was assured on the cross. Unlike the D-Day illustration, landing 75 years ago where there was 150,000 Allied troops involved and thousands of people dying on both sides. D-Day, 2,000 years ago, had only one man dying for all people. Winning for us an eternal hope and future. I'm sure with me, If you understand this and receive it, you'd want to say, thank you, Jesus. We believe that Christ's victory over sin and death is the most significant news in all history. The mission of Jesus is to establish God's kingdom on earth as in heaven. His kingly rule and reign is being established, but will be uh, finally realized when he returns to us in person, the day. At Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, 50 days after his crucifixion and 10 days after his ascension, God birthed his church and now empowers his followers to be his co-workers with him in establishing his kingly rule on earth as it is in heaven. Today we've um, had two passages read to us from Acts 2, which you'll find on page 1091, 1092, and 1, 1 Corinthians 2. They focus on two apostles. I can test you who they are. They both begin with P. Well done, Peter and Paul. Both apostles are, there's another P, 
proclaiming the centrality and significance of Jesus. In um, the recently completed 40 days with Jesus course that we've just done, I loved it. Um, We focused on disciples having these resurrection um, encounters with the risen Lord Jesus. That's the sort of thing that gives us faith and encouragement, isn't it? But last week we heard that Jesus had told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, Acts 1, 4 and 5, for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. After saying these things, verse 9, Jesus was taken up to be with his father, and we call that the ascension. Disciples then waited and prayed And I want to repeat this a lot, actually, but I only get away with it three times. They waited and prayed. They waited and prayed. I think we find waiting and praying quite hard. Then suddenly, the Holy Spirit came in power. Pentecost marks this special day in history, 50 days after the crucifixion, when the disciples and the first Christians connected with God in a very deep, a very personal and very powerful way. Pentecost is a day when thousands of believers were empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus with the whole world in word and deed, with signs And wonders. Pentecost was the extraordinary, unprecedented event that never happened before the birth of the church. Peter was empowered with a boldness to preach like he'd never preached before. The Holy Spirit released gifts in the believers to communicate the wonders of the gospel in a language that they could understand. I pray for that, even in English, to English listeners and speakers. These things are spiritually discerned. It's the pivotal moment in history, a reversal of the confusion. Some of you know, in Genesis 11, a Tower of Babel, the people got a bit too big for their boots. I think they wanted to be like God. They thought they could reach the heavens. God's not having that at all, just in case anyone's tempted to do the same. Uh, He confused them and he scattered them. As a result of the crucifixion and resurrection, God chose to gather them at Pentecost, all people, and gave them an ability again, spiritually discerned, to understand and know him. We read in Acts 2, verses 2 to 4, and again, a multi-sensory approach. There was the sound of a violent wind. I hear you did a wonderful talk, by the way, in a care home just a while ago. This is true, isn't it, where you played a recording of the sound of a wind, and it had an impact on those who were there. Then there were tongues of fire. I don't know how you did your tongues of fire, but we had little children earlier with little hats on with tongues of fire just to help people imagine what was happening. And verse 11, with the out 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God made himself known and comprehensible to people from all nations in a language that they could understand. Acts 2.14, Peter delivers his first sermon to the gathering of the very first church. When Peter shares this breaking news with his Jewish hearers, he doesn't pull any punches. Some responded positively, and uh, then, as now, others don't. Acts 2.36, therefore let, I can imagine him saying, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, and at the earlier congregation, I apologize for this, I imagine him pointing. Who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In verse 38, Peter goes a step further. Just so they understood, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 40, we're told that with many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We don't do enough baptisms round here. Peter was faithful in recounting this breaking news, fearlessly telling others that he'd, what he'd seen and heard. He declares, verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life. We're all witnesses of the fact. Um, for the record... Just in case uh, you want to idolize Peter. My mum's in church this morning. She said I was a bit unfair on Peter. But he was a weak and fallen human being. And that's the encouragement, just like the rest of us. As we've heard in recent weeks, he denied Jesus in his time of greatest need. But Jesus restored him. So he can restore all of us. Now God, the Holy Spirit, has empowered him with a conviction that he didn't have before. No longer is he in hiding. Peter's telling the story of Jesus and what he's done with boldness that can only come from God. Little pause. You can have a lie lie down if you want. Um, But while you're doing it, could you find 1 Corinthians 2, which is on page 1145. Page 1145 of your Bibles. The Apostle Paul's route to apostleship was equally remarkable. Paul boasts an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in in Acts 9. I don't know what I'd have felt about that, but just sometimes God needs to break in. So we're a bit British and quite reserved on the hole in Claygate. So this sort of thing, if God can do it a slightly different way, let's be honest, we'd probably prefer it, wouldn't we? Um, He was blinded and fell to the ground. And Jesus spoke to him. We'd like Jesus to speak to us, wouldn't we, in ways that we could hear. We might not always like what he says, but he said, Saul, 
which was his name before Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I've been reflecting on this, and I haven't been going around killing Christians before I had my conversion experience. It's what Paul did. Uh, But through my indifference and my embarrassment of the church and Jesus Christ, maybe Jesus would say something similar to me, because sometimes our inaction can cause people to be persecuted as well. Patrick, Patrick, why do you persecute me? Jesus transformed him from a murderous persecutor of the church to one of its greatest and most fearless ambassadors. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we read that Paul's ability to communicate the gospel was nothing to do with him or his ability. It was a gift from God. It's worth reminding ourselves of this. We try hard to be good communicators, but it's not the communication that's important. It's who and what we communicate that's more important. Paul is writing to this fledgling, dysfunctional, spiritually gifted Corinthian church. Page 1145, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. When I came to you, Paul writes, I didn't come to you with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were, with, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. How remarkable that when we preach the truth about Jesus, power is released to reveal God to those with ears to hear. God, give me ears to hear what the Spirit might be saying this morning. We know from experience, then and now, not everyone wants to have their ears or their hearts or their minds open to God, quite the reverse. Some who can't cope with the message try to silence or mock the messengers. It's a gift from God, both to understand spiritual truths and then to be able to communicate them. 1 Corinthians 2.11, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we've received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The section ends with the incredible claim. And there's a lot in Scripture that has incredible claims and incredible truths. And if you're anything like me, you struggle to receive it. But receive this for you this morning. Because Paul and other Christians, all Christians, have the Spirit of God living in them. We can claim verse 16 to have 
the mind of Christ. Pentecost is a day when we choose to remember the good news that broke 2,000 years ago, that God has empowered, empowered his church for mission and ministry. The Spirit of God is the breath of God that breathes life into all God's children. He brings life out of death. He brings boldness where there was fear. He brings wisdom and understanding where there was ignorance. The Holy Spirit comes with power, and we need his power to overcome our natural weaknesses and fear. I don't know the page number, but this week in morning prayer, uh, we've been studying a letter from 1 John. And you'll find it at the back of the Bibles, just before the book of Revelation, 1 John. I find it a helpful way to just bring some of the strands together. (coughs) Excuse me. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that we are children of God. I just want to pause there for a moment. If you're a Christian, you are a child of God, and God loves his children. And we say this loads. God loves you. If I could do a pointing finger now, if it wasn't too uh, too rude... Just imagine that. Not accusation and condemnation, but love. 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1. How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Chapter 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 4, verse 2. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge acknowledge Jesus is not from God. 1 John 4, verse 4. I think this is an amazing truth as well. Just imagine it. The one who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, no matter what you're going through at the moment. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 1 John 4, 16. An amazing truth. God is love. And those who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. The Holy Spirit is God. God is love. And the wonder of Pentecost is that not only does his presence live in us, but he empowers us to participate in God's loving mission to share his good news in ways that are natural for you with his help to the world. With God's mission in mind, today we gather to wait on God, And to humbly ask him again and again and again. Come Holy Spirit. More love. More power. More of you in all our lives. Amen.